church. It was a little bit cooler today, wasn't it? Wasn't it a little nice? Get a little break from all that humidity and heat and yet still be nice and sunny and shiny outside. It was nice this morning. I looked out the front windows of our new house that we live in and I could see the mountains, the Adirondack Mountains. It's been a lot really hazy since we moved in. So this was the first day since we actually have been living in our new house that uh, we can see the mountains. So it was a beautiful view, a beautiful perspective uh, this morning as I was, I uh, had a coffee and just, uh, you know, spent some time thinking about this morning, seeing the mountains and seeing that perspective. It was, it was great. And it's awesome when we can see things clearly, isn't it? It really is. And last week we've been, well, throughout the summer, we've been working through a spiritual conflict series uh, and how we deal with spiritual warfare, this conflict that's there. And like I've said multiple times, everything is spiritual. If you are a being, you got a pulse today, you're, you're here, you're alive with us, you are a spiritual being. There's a part of you, the spirit inside of you that is living and active and trying to wrestle through life just as much as your physical and mental body is as well. And anything you do then becomes a spiritual endeavor. Everything you do becomes spiritual. And in that spiritual act that we do, there's conflict. There's, there's warring factions within us and around us about the things that we do. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Is this something I want to do? Is it something I don't want to do? What's a, a appropriate or applicable for me to do, there is that battle and that war raging around us that we need to be aware of. And last week, we spoke about what it looks like to be healthy and having necessary accountability, that we can't walk through life, we can't try to exercise spiritual authority if we don't have accountability. Because that authority without accountability becomes like a dictatorship or it comes uh, some type of abusive situation where no, there's no checks and balances to the system. Now, I'm sure some of you guys are aware that today, I'm not sure if it's happened yet, but probably happening soon, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is going to be calling us to an early election. There's checks and balances to our system, isn't there? We've been in a minority government so far, and we're going to see what plays out in our systems in the world around us. There's checks and balances, perspectives that help us do the things that we need to do in life. And this is so true in the spiritual world as well. This week, we want to look at a couple of the core issues of spiritual warfare. So before we do so, let's just pray. God, we thank you. We thank you. We sang these amazing songs this morning, speaking about you being on the throne, you not being done with us, about what you have done for us and how you are our source of life. You are a source of everything that's good, God. Uh, and God, we worship you because of who you are. You truly are our defender in this spiritual conflict, God. You truly are the source of strength that we rely on in order to move forward and do uh, the things that you want us to do and live the life you have called for, for us to live. And so God, as we dive into looking at, again, at spiritual conflict uh, today, we do so uh, submitting ourselves to your authority. We do so recognizing uh, who you are, God, and putting you on the throne and saying, God, you lead us, you guide us. And there is no God 
but the one true God that we have seen in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so God, as we, as we uh, dive in today, may that govern us, may that um, wrap us in, in your word and in your truth and in your presence. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So when it comes to perspective and looking at what's going on in the world around us in spiritual conflict, there's something that we need to understand and be aware of in this, and that's this, that the demonic is nowhere and everywhere. That the demonic is nowhere and everywhere. It seems like nothing around us at any given time, and yet there is the presence of an enemy lurking and, and, and seeking who he can destroy. Like I mentioned earlier with perspectives, how we view things is often very important. This week, I went and saw my plastic surgeon regarding the, uh, the, the surgeries that I had done on my arm. And uh, the plastic surgeon seemed to be happy with the progress my arm was making and everything like that. And, but I had a couple questions. It was great to get a thumbs up and say, it's going well, it's going great. Um, but I had a couple questions like, what can I actually do with my arm? What are my limitations with my arm? What can I do? And at first she was like, oh, you can do whatever you want. Just, just do whatever you want. Uh, she was like, you can shower, you can do whatever. Just, yeah, go for it. Live life. And I was like, whatever I want. And she's like, yeah, just do whatever you want. And I'm like, so I can go, you know, work out or play tennis or do a whole bunch of one-arm push pull-ups and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Just no more than 10 pounds, you know. With and I'm like, those two things are not the same. <laughs> do whatever you want, as long as it's limited to only 10 pounds. You know, like that's not the same. Whatever I want does not look like 10 pounds or less, right? Perspective, it's huge. Maybe, maybe that, that doesn't resonate with you. How about, you ever see those, those diagrams where it's, uh, especially if you're on Facebook or anything like that, and it's like, you look at this picture, and what do you see? And it's like an old lady. And then from another perspective, it's a young woman's like side profile, right? And you, the perspective of how you see things changes what you are looking at. Or that other one, the, the illusion where from one perspective, it looks like a square, and from the other perspective, it looks like a cylinder. And the way the shadow plays on it, you see something from a different perspective. Maybe some of you who have maybe not quite mastered the technology of our age, you've pulled out your smartphone to take a picture and you're holding it up to take a picture and you're looking at it and you take a picture and all you're taking a picture is, is of yourself because you're using the front camera instead of the back camera. And you're like, why, why am I seeing myself in this picture looks nothing like what I'm looking at? Perspective and how we see things and how it works is huge. Having a perspective that limits what we can see can be very challenging, especially when it comes to spiritual conflict and how we view good and evil, how we view God and an enemy. James Callis, uh, he calls these two perspectives when we talk about um, the, the spirit realm and, and God and, and good and evil and things like that. He, he refers to them uh, as the Godward view and the Satanward view. I know it sounds awkward to use this, but hopefully you'll understand what I'm saying. The one perspective, it's like you're looking towards God. 
right? So it's a, a Godward view. And the other view is you see the evidence in the, the, uh, the work of the evil and brokenness in the world around us. Now, a Godward view, which is full of things like love and faith and peace and the strength of God and everything like that, it doesn't deny that the world is full of brokenness or problems and things like that. Rather, that Godward view limits our, our perspective of supernatural to God. We know that there's bad things happening and, and you know, life can throw you curveballs and everything like that. But we look to God to be the supernatural force at work in the world around us. Whereas the Satan word view would have a little bit more focus on the fact that there's somebody trying to rob and kill and deceive and devalue and destroy us. It's seeing the world from that perspective and seeing that conflict right there in our face. Now, these, these views see the world through the lens of, like I said, a destroyer bent on lighting the world on fire. And I'm sorry to uh, Billy Joel uh, when he wrote those words, we didn't start the fire. The world's been burning since the world's been turning. Unfortunately, those lyrics, as catchy as they were back when he wrote them, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Uh, and he goes through all the ages of all the different people who've done horrible things throughout the world. And the song seems to imply that somebody else is always the, the person at fault, right? It was always somebody else that did something to light the world on fire, and the world's been burning since the world's been turning. Unfortunately, the world wasn't burning since the world's been turning. When God created it, it was beautiful, it was perfect. He said it was good, and then sin entered the world. And unfortunately, we can't say we didn't start the fire. Humanity, in its acceptance and embracing of our own way and not going God's way, we invited that burning presence of, of sin and brokenness into the world. We invited and, and gave away some of our role as uh, managers of God's creation, stewards of God's creation, we gave that to our enemy, Satan, when we chose to rebel with him against God. And the issue we have today is that sometimes we only want to see from one perspective or the other. We want to see the world from the, the, the perspective of just looking towards God and, and God will take care of everything and God is good and God is strong and everything like that. And we, we don't pay a lot of attention to the works of our enemy. Or we, we do the other, and we, we pay a lot of attention to the works of the enemy without relying on the strength of God to be there for us. Only blessings, positive affirmations, or only dark and warring actions. Now, I would never advise us to have a lesser view of the greatness of God to take our eyes off of who God is, like we sang today. We sang those songs on purpose today because they speak to the greatness of our God. And we don't want to take our eyes away from who he is and what he has done for us. Never do we want to do that. Yet at the same time, right, we want to be, like the Bible says, we want to be innocent as, as doves but as wise as serpents, right? We want to be cunning. We know what our enemy is about while we're still being innocent. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 19. He says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And why do I say this this morning? It's because just like Jesus, we need to keep our eyes on what God is doing. We need to keep our eyes on who he is and be in step with the Spirit in that way. Jesus was constantly looking at life through the lens of what his Father was doing. And so we do the same. We constantly look to our Father in heaven to see what he is doing, and that gives us our cues in life. And here's the thing. The same time that Jesus kept his focus on his heavenly Father, he knew that earth was not a paradise. He knew that he was dealing with a rough situation on earth. It's the exact reason why he came to earth was because of the condition of humanity, because of the condition of his creation, because there is a spirit world that includes beings, spiritual entities that serve Satan. It's the very reason he came to earth. In Ephesians 6, 12, says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As much as our, our battle and our conflict can seem like it manifests between people, and no, no matter the situation, it could be a work situation. It could be uh, a neighbor. It could be uh, even in, within your family. It could be relatives or in your marriage or whatever. It seems like the conflict is with another person, and they're the one that you're at odds with. And yet, we don't wrestle against God's creation in that way. We wrestle against powers and, and, and principalities and rulers of this world. We wrestle against them and their influence in our lives. We wrestle against not only that, but the flesh nature within us that, that attacks us. We wrestle against the world, right? We're not supposed to be of the world. We're, not, we're in it, but we're not of the world, meaning we don't take the world's perspective on things. We take God's perspective on things, and we wrestle against these things. Sometimes... What we see the Father doing is this. We see him, like, like we have on our, our board here, crushing snakes. We see God coming in and saying, no, that's not going to bite you. No, that's not going to harm you. Sometimes we see him setting people free. Sometimes we see God exposing error or discipling through teaching. Here's the thing. Jesus, as far as what we are going into, and it was, it was a very interesting scenario um, for me to be in. And whether, whether or not I fully understood what I was getting into as a young minister, there was a moment when the, the, the person that's standing there in front of us, and it wasn't actually the person standing there. It was, it was the, the spirit that, was, that had oppressed and con was controlling him, looked over at me and said, do you really believe? You know, and... I was like, I was like, yeah, I do. But, but it was a moment where, again, I realized as I walked away from that moment, it was a moment where an enemy was trying to cast doubt within me. As far as what was I really dealing with? What was I encountering? And what was I willing to allow to be real in the world around me? Because at first I was like, do I believe? 
am I okay with like, do I actually believe this is what's really happening? And I was like, I, it took me a second to reground myself in who God is, the authority that we have in God and how we can walk that out. But it was a very interesting scenario, which leads me to this, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, that's where our minds are supposed to be. Our minds are supposed to be not conforming to the world around us, to the ideology and the, the, um, the way the world explains reality to us. Instead, we are supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds in Christ so that we can understand and discern God's will for us, his perfect and pleasing will for us. Now, we are all being formed, yet as followers of Jesus, we desire him, his word, his ways, and his church body to be the ultimate guide for transforming us to look more like Jesus. We can't do it on our own, and we can't look to maybe some specialized teachers who, who, uh, who want to take us down narrow roads of what the spirit realm really looks like. We want to do this in community, grounded in his word, so that we can have a balanced perspective on how we deal with spiritual conflict. And in the midst of this, this is what we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of the fact that there is Satan. There is demons. There is temptation and sin. There is darkness, evil, and rebellion all around us and sometimes in us. Yet in seeing this, we can't let this be all we see. We're behind every issue is a demon. We can't turn into Christian ghostbusters where everything we, everywhere we go and everything we do, we want to cast something out or declare that the enemy in that moment has no power. For the most part, those of us who have grown up in Western civilization, that hasn't really been an issue for us because our world around us has tried to declare that there is no God that there is no evil. Even if there is a God, then he's, he's, he's just kind of there. He's a clockmaker in the background of everything. But there's definitely no evil other than just bad people, right? That's, that's what Western civilization has tried to teach us. That's what the Enlightenment was all about. It brought rationalism to us, which caused many to no longer believe in the, in the demonic. I saw a, a, a caption, uh, I can't remember where I saw it recently, but it said, it said isn't it interesting that, uh, that every, every culture and every different path may have a different God, but they all have the same devil? Did you ever notice that? They all have the same devil, but they'll, they'll have a different God that, they're, that they're, they want to call on to help them with that devil. Very interesting. Here's the thing. We want to fight and we want to live our lives not with that rationalistic perspective which says this, this stuff doesn't exist. There's a, there's a movie I don't necessarily recommend um, everyone going out and see. It was called The Usual Suspects. Maybe some of you saw it back in the day. And one of the characters in the movie, he describes what goes on with evil like this. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And isn't that true? 
when we just think we can go through life and Again, that, that Godward view, even as followers of Jesus, we want to we keep our eyes on Jesus. We want to focus on him when we think that that's great and that's awesome. And we kind of forget that there is an enemy that is seeking to devour anybody he can. So rationalism regards reason as the ultimate source and test of knowledge. And that we need reason to describe it all. And that's why, like I said, uh, for a moment, sitting in that room with that one encounter uh, with the other pastor and dealing with somebody who was possessed, I, I had a moment where reason was trying to take over instead of allowing the Spirit to lead me and guide me. But here's the thing. That, that rationalism and reason that, that, that took over at least Western civilization was also a response to an issue in the church called reductionism. And what I mean by that is reductionism was reducing everything down to a single known part. Again, the devil, right? This, this living life with, the, with this view that everything had a demonic root. Everything had the devil in it, right? You know, everything, everything had that, that anything you did wrong, it was, it was the devil that was driving you to it, right? Everything that you... It, it, Probably not, like, again, not so much now because it tr our, our culture tried to root that out. But if you looked back 30, 40 years ago, even in church in time, what, what was the response to everything, right? It was like, it was, it was the devil or, or some, one of his minions that was driving you to do the things that you were doing. And that, that rationalism was trying to get rid of saying everything was that, that evil or the demonic presence in, in you or surrounding you or oppressing you or making you do right, what you did, right? The devil made me do it. And within some context of the church, it led to, that idea led to untold pain and hardship and experiences that, that people had to deal with. I think of the... the just even the, our, our indigenous population in Canada who's dealing with the results of um, a broken church system in, in parts of their lives that saw them as, as less than human, that saw their culture as something that needed to be driven out of them, as something that was evil and broken and, and needed to be Christianized rather than them just seeing the love of Jesus and adapting it into their way of life. Untold hardship and pain can react when we just see the evil and the devil in everything instead of seeing uh, the world from a broader perspective. All through scripture, the demonic, they're separate beings from people who could talk and were cast out by the power of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. Now, in our world today, the demonic still exists. In our world today, people are still oppressed and possessed and, and have these issues, and we need to be aware of it and deal with it. But we also need to be aware of the fact that there's psychological and mental issues that people deal with. There's problems that are, that are not um, innately spiritual in that way, but deal with the, 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 the mixture of, of chemical and emotional problems that we have within our body and the brokenness that humanity is that lead to us having mental health issues. And if as a church we were to just describe any and every problem that was a mental health problem as a demonic or supernatural problem that just needed to be cast out or prayed out or dealt with in that way, 
we would do much harm and disservice to people to blanket all of those things in one area. Here's the thing. When sin entered the world and the fall happened, everything in creation began to degrade. When you think of the original, the original uh, uh, humans on earth and their lifespan, you think of Noah and Methuselah and all those that were living 900 plus years long in their almost perfect bodies. And yet as time has gone on and degraded our ability to, to survive, the brokenness of humanity, even in, within who we are in our physical nature, the challenges we face because of sin and brokenness in this world run rampant. And we deal with that on a regular basis. And we can't look at it and just cast it out. We have to look at how we deal with it in a holistic way. We have imperfect families of origin which create different issues in us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we have a complex chemistry and systems and biology. We all can become ill physically, mentally, and spiritually. There's a couple of situations in the Bible I can draw on to, to talk about these things and the different ways we can look at these scenarios. In Luke 8, Jesus casts out uh, a legion of demons from a man. There were so many in them, they called themselves a legion. Like as in the term of an army, there was that many of them there. And the, the demons, they talk back to Jesus, not to cast them away where they can't come back. And he allows them to go into a herd of pigs that go rushing off a cliff and die. And this upsets those living, uh, who made a living from those pigs. And they, they ask Jesus to leave because of the disturbance that he created. In Luke 8, 38, 39, it says this, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, meaning Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And in this scenario, you can see that the demons were there and the man was there and they were two separate entities and beings. One, the demons spoke to Jesus and he cast them out and they left and then the man was there and he spoke with a clear mind to Jesus and wanted to follow him and be a disciple. But Jesus instead sent him on his way to declare the goodness of God in that community. We can see that power play that happened there. But we can see another story that in our context today, Some may want to over-spiritualize and see there, there's other extenuating spiritual circumstances that played out in this, this, uh, this scenario that we can't quite claim. In Luke 8, 42 to 48, it says this, And Jesus went, and the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surrounded you and are pressing on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, She came trembling, and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And then he said to her, listen to this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go 
in peace. Now some, over time, have tried to describe what is happening there with, with that woman as something more than just physical, as something deeply affecting her uh, that has caused her to not be able to deal with this for 12 years, and that it was a spiritual issue that she was dealing with in that moment that her healing came, something else left, rather than her just being physically healed. That's really, we can't describe that as what's going on. What we can describe is that there was a woman who had an issue and that she came to Jesus to be healed. This woman was ceremonially unclean because of her issue uh, with blood. Anybody whom she would touch would be unclean as well. So she was ostracized from the community because of that scenario. She'd been living alone like this for 12 years. She'd done all she could do with physicians. And this story is being written by a physician, Luke. She's healed physically by Jesus. But she's also restored socially by Jesus because she's no longer unclean, but clean. And she's also restored relationally by Jesus because why? He calls her daughter. Nowhere in this story does he rebuke her from going to physicians. And nowhere in the story does Jesus cast anything out of her. See, Jesus wants us to understand there's both sides of this. And when we deal with people who have illness, whether it be physical or otherwise, we have to take into account that there, yes, is a spirit realm that is at work, but there also is just brokenness in humanity. And we can't call all one or all the other. But we need discernment to allow us to understand what we're dealing with in what scenarios. And that takes, that takes an openness to, again, our eyes fixed on Jesus to understand what the Father is doing around us. And when we understand what the Father is doing, then we can walk in step with him when we need to make decisions about what we're dealing with, whether it be the spirit realm or just the physical world that we live in. Now, here's the thing. As we do that, as we focus on that as a group, as, as the body of Christ, as Life Center here, we do this. In Mark 12, 30 to 31, it says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Again, we focus holistically with all that we are on following him and loving him. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now we do this. We grow together to minister to each other and to the world around us within that context. We do that through discipleship, through following Jesus. You know, sometimes we need strongholds to be broken. Sometimes we need even demons cast out. So we must resist that, again, that idea of rationalism, that we, that we, we see the world as only from that Godward perspective and everything is good and we just, we just move on through that. Think of it this way. Think if I gave you all uh, a puzzle to get to put together. And in this puzzle, there's all the pieces that you need to use to put it together. It's a complete puzzle. But you choose, you choose to not like or not want to use 50 pieces of that, whatever, 500-piece puzzle. Because you, you don't want to focus on it. You don't want to use those pieces. And maybe for this, this illustration, those pieces happen to be the demonic or spirit realm 
especially the spirit realm in the evil side of things. You don't want to focus on that. Your picture, that you puzzle that you put together, when you put all those pieces in, it's not going to be a complete and perfect picture without taking into context all that the world has. We need to make sure that we're taking into to account that. But we also must reduce, uh, we must, sorry, resist reductionism where we, we only see the evil in the world. We only see the devil doing everything because we can't complete that same puzzle if we only have those 50 pieces. And we're only focused on what the devil is doing in the world around us and, and making sure that we're going after him and not seeing the broader picture. Because that's what causes us to do harm. That's what causes us to, to, uh, to have issues when you may be only dealing with something in the physical and that you want to pray it out of somebody or you want to cast it out of somebody when it's just a physical issue that they're dealing with. We need to have that balanced perspective in both. In ministry... Here's something that we can, we can come to observe with most people and in, in the lives, in our spiritual, spiritual growth and discipling. Uh, demons, fallen angels, whatever you want to refer to them as, they're usually secondary in the, in the issues that we deal with. They're not the primary issue that we're dealing with. It's not that they're not an issue, but the primary issue that we often deal in life is this. It's the spiritual physical, the family of origin, and the emotional issues within us that are our biggest issue. Why would the enemy need to, to uh, delegate a demon in order to deal with you when you and your sin nature, you and the, the, the lust of the world are doing a fine job at distracting yourself from God's purpose and plans for your life? There's no need for him to send a greater Power. No, it's not a greater power than us because of our relationship with God. I hope you understand that. But there's no need for him to, to send reinforcements to try and get you off key or off target if you're doing a great enough job in and of your own self. And by that I mean you're not allowing the redemptive work of God, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit and the conviction of God to bring to truth and bring to light all the brokenness that's inside you that we've been talking about in the past weeks. You're not allowing Jesus to renew you on the inside by digging into your closet and pulling all the things out that don't belong there. We need Jesus, but we also need counselors. We need coaches. We need disciples and disciplers and disciplines. We need physicians to help us heal. We need medicine. We also need miracles. We need to be free from the demonic oppression and possession. We need to have ongoing discipleship in everything we do. So this, as we, we start to wrap things up, spiritual warfare is supernatural. But it doesn't have to be crazy. Okay? Okay? Spiritual warfare is supernatural. We are dealing with the spirit realm, but it doesn't have to be crazy. Remember, spiritual authority has nothing to do with personality. Zero. Okay? Spiritual authority has nothing to do with your personality. You may be an over-the-top person who's very charismatic, driven, and decisive. You may be that A-type personality that seems to take control of a situation. That does not mean you have spiritual authority. 
You can be a quiet, timid little mouse of a person who doesn't like to overstep their, their boundaries at all, only speaks when asked to, to their opinion. But you could have great spiritual authority. You could have great authority in the spirit realm to say, you know, not today, Satan. Versus the person who can yell loudly and say all sorts of big and powerful sounding words, yet not have that spiritual authority within them. Personality and charisma have nothing to do with spiritual authority. Charles Craft said this, if we look at Jesus, we see none of the hyper-emotional and showmanship that many modern ministries seem to major on. I don't want to pick on anybody or belittle anybody or anything like that. But when we see, you know, people waving, you know, stuff in the spirit away and doing things and, and blowing and, and making that the big act of cleaning things out in the spirit realm, we have to be careful that we don't allow personality and charisma to be what we see as how to deal with the spirit realm. I want to be careful and say, like, I'm not saying that personalities that do those things, I'm not saying they don't have authority in the spirit realm and that they are not being effective. What I'm saying is we who see what's going on can't use that as a template for this is how it must happen. Okay? When God gives gifts, they're irrevocable gifts. When he gives gifts to deal with things and gives authority to deal with things, they're ours to use. And whether we use them well all the time or not, it's still a gift that he's given us. But it's not the template for how all gifts must be used in that context. So when we do so, when we see a TV ministry or, or somebody come in and do an evangelistic moment and there's lots of bravado and loud noise in dealing with the spirit realm, we don't need to take that and say that's our template for how to deal with the spirit realm. Because we see Jesus and we see none of that. We see none of that with Jesus. Jesus speaks clearly, concisely, and calmly, and things happen. So we walk this out together as humbly as we possibly can, but with the authority of Christ in us. Many of the early encounters I saw in Freedom Ministry were very much like that, where where the person praying felt like they had to shout louder, shout with more authority than anything that the person in front of them may yell or manifest or swear or spit or curse or whatever. Their response had to be equal to or more louder than theirs in order for it to be effective. And, and, and it's, it's, it, it confused me as a young person, especially even before in, I got into ministry and, and saw these scenarios playing out as to what, what authority do I need to call on? Like how loud do I need to be in order to make this effective? And it's, it's been a, a journey to realize that it's, it has nothing to do with how loud you can talk and how loud you can yell or, or how loudly you say, in the name of Jesus, it does not matter how loud you say that. It matters how close you are to Jesus to walk in that authority. Like we talked about the other week, the seven sons of Sceva, who loudly proclaimed, you know, in Jesus' name, what those demons must do. And the demons looked at them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? 
How loud we yell does not make a difference. So when we do allow personality, not authority, but personality to lead us, it can do more harm than healing. It can induce more shame than strongholds being broken. It can create more fear than freedom. And it can be more distracting than discipling. So here's a little um, guide we can use. But the more supernatural a moment is, the more the spotlight should go on Jesus. The more we feel like there's a spiritual conflict, that there's something that needs to be dealt with in the spirit realm, the more that, needs, that, that seems to be what we're dealing with in the moment, the more Jesus needs to be elevated. Not our voice, not our role in it, but more Jesus needs to be elevated in that. The more spotlight needs to be put on him and who he is in these situations. In Life Center, we have what we call a freedom ministry where we help people become free of hurts and hang-ups and habits, and strongholds in their lives. Most of, all, of it, you'd never see it happen because it happens in private, not in public. It happens to, to respect the dignity of people and to not create a spectacle out of the situation. Not to create a, a parade at the front of the church of saying, let's do this and do that and, and have all this, this freedom ministry happen right here to, to create a show for people to come and watch. Because our goal is people's freedom, not, not just to have people come and watch a show. Our goal is to see people set free. Our goal is to see them saved and, and whole in Jesus and to see them uh, keep their dignity in it all. And not people have wonder what horrible things were they involved in that, that led them to have that type of interaction with the spirit world. Because sometimes it's not your acceptance or embracing of the brokenness of this world or the evil in this world. Sometimes it happens through circumstances and situations that hurt us, that bring us pain. And we align ourselves with things that, that cause us to uh, be trapped in them because of it. Think of somebody who may have, have had a traumatic uh, experience uh, where they were abused. And they want to, in shame, hide it. And so they align themselves with the spirit of silence and of secrecy. They say, I will never let anybody know what I've gone through. I will hide it from everybody as long as I possibly live. Nobody will know the pain and brokenness that I went through. And in doing that, they align themselves with this spirit of secrecy and hiding that then controls them and doesn't allow them to, what? Confess to open up and, and let it be known so that they can get healing. If you never, and it's not a confession of sin, but a confession of what you've just gone through in life. It's an opening to, to bring healing to your life. But if nobody knows because you've made vows of secrecy and silence, you're aligning yourself with something that then controls you. No, that's a hard thing to let go of. And so we need to be, just be aware that as people deal with the, the brokenness in their life, the things that control them, even when it gets into the spirit world, into the demonic, it's not because they've necessarily embraced evil. 
It's not because they, they've, they've ran to evil and said, I want to be bad and everything like that. It could be because of the brokenness that they've, they've found in this world, the things that have been done to them. that They didn't know where to turn or how to turn, and they turned in the wrong direction. So there are issues, spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare. It's without question. We've only covered a couple of those things today, and we're going to continue for a couple more weeks in the series. So I know it kind of leaves us with all these questions. How do we deal with the demonic, and what, is, what does this look like, and am I prepared for it, and do I need to be a ghostbuster? Do I need to get my special suit on and my thing? Is there ways we can trap them and get them gone? We'll keep working through it. Just trust me. But as followers of Jesus, let's trust what Jesus said and did about salvation, healing, love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and self-control, and let the fruit of the Spirit come out in us. But let's also trust what he said and did about freedom from issues with our family origin, stress, anxiety, fear, the demonic oppression, in some cases, possession. Let's also trust him in those things. A next step in freedom for some of us may look like this. It may look like therapy. It may look like coaching. It may look like discipleship. Or working with a team to discern whether there is demonic element present in our lives. As Life Center, let's continue to work hard at understanding that we live in a supernatural world. But it doesn't have to be handled harmfully and weirdly or crazy. Let's all grow in Jesus, grow with each other, and see how he ministered to people, whether it was physical illness, a mental illness, or uh, a spiritual attack against them. Let's all grow in how we do that together. Can we do that? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you sit on the throne, that only you sit on the throne. And God, we may deal with an enemy in this world that is seeking to devour. He roams like a lion. He isn't the lion, but he roams like a lion seeking who he can can devour. But God, we rest in who you are. We rest in your salvation, that you have reclaimed us from the grave. God, like we sang this morning, if, if I'm not in the grave, then you're not done yet in my life. God, you are working in me. You are working in us today. Your spirit is alive in our community, leading us and guiding us. And so, God, we submit to you and your reign in our lives. We submit to you and your reign in our church community. And, God, we we call upon you. We call on your, your spirit to lead us and guide us in all truth. Reveal to us through your word your wisdom in how to walk out this life, how to discern between the spiritual and the natural and to effectively minister your loving salvation and your freedom in both situations, God. God, I pray that we would be innocent and yet cunning and wise to understand the attacks of the enemy and yet innocent and that we fully rely on the authority that you give us through Jesus, through what you've done for us on the cross through the power of you arising from the dead and ascending to the right hand of the Father, Jesus. We rest in your authority. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you have given us, the authority that you've given us, the freedom that you've given us in Christ. 
You have set us free. And we want to live in that freedom. Live in your love, Jesus. We just pray this in your name. Amen.